Well, we are going to turn just now to Revelation. We're going to uh, read this last chapter of Revelation uh, 22. It's page 1250 of the Pew Bibles, if you've got a Pew Bible. Some of the translations put the uh, division in 22 into verse uh, between verses 5 and 6, some between 6 and 7. So we'll read from verse 6 uh, this evening. So Revelation 22 from verse uh, 6. The angel said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy in this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers, the prophets, and of all who keep the words of this book. Worship God. Then he told me, do not seal up the words of this prophecy, of the prophecy of this book, because the time is near. Let him who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let him who is vile continue to be vile. Let him who does right continue to do right. Let him who is holy continue to be holy. Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and offspring of David and the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let him who hears say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come, and whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes words away from the book, this book of prophecy, God will take from him his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. Amen. Do keep your Bible open. You'll find it helpful, I think, as uh, we look at this for a little bit of time together uh, just now. We're coming to the end of Revelation. And um, really, this last little section uh, is just a, a conclusion that really draws together some of the key messages in the book. And, and one of the things that's really good to ask us, ask ourselves, <clears throat> uh, whenever we read a book like Revelation, really any part of the scriptures, is what is it supposed to do? What, what's, it, what's it there for? What, what's it supposed to do for us? What should we be like as a result of reading it? And, and one of the things that Revelation encourages us to be and to do is to be overcomers, to, to overcome 
it's a word that occurs lots right through the book, especially in the earlier chapters. NIV usually translates uh, the, the word uh, overcome. The ESV often translates it conqueror. So, so the, the, the burden of, of revelation is that we might be conquerors, that we might be overcomers. So um, you, don't, you want, might want later on to, to look through the first few chapters and see this. But for example, 2 verse 7, to him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. 2.11, he who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the, seventh, the second death. 2.26, to him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. 3.12, him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Then there's a description of God's people in chapter 12, verse 11. They overcame him, the evil one, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And then that wonderful promise in chapter 21, verse 7, he who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be as God, and he will be my son. Now, you remember that these first readers and hearers of the book were the Christians in the several churches scattered throughout Asia Minor. They're incredibly under pressure, and and this is what they need to hear. Uh, You've got to keep going. That's the, the burden of the message to them. You've got to keep going. It's going to be worth it. You've got to overcome I imagine if, if we were to do a little survey of, of ourselves as we're gathered here tonight and, and uh, you were asked the question, do you categorize yourself as an overcomer, as a conqueror? I'm, I'm sure that many of us would say, well, not really, no. Uh, term makes us think of somebody who, who just seems to brush aside any challenge that comes to them. Nothing sort of sticks to them, as it were. And I know that most of us don't really feel that our, our lives are like that. M- many of us um, walk through the door, and, and the question that's in our minds is, is there any hope for me as a, as a struggling Christian who's just getting through? But, but I'm sure, too, that, that that's exactly how lots of those first readers and hearers felt. They, they really knew that the culture was against them. Their victory seemed small, The pressures were huge. We think we're under pressure, but their pressures were huge. And and I I think we've got to see that it's really clear from from reading through Revelation that overcomers, that our perception of that word is all wrong, that overcomers are are people with scars. They're hard-pressed. They struggle, but but by the grace of God, they they press through and and they, they, they cling on to the Lord, maybe just by their fingertips but they get there. And so tonight, I want us to to look at what this last section tells us about maybe what what should characterize overcomers, what should characterize really God's people, because that's where this section of the book takes us, uh, and uh, it's, it's really saying this is how we should live in the light of what's to come. Four things, these are sort of entwined, uh, not especially in order in, in the, the passage, but uh, we've just put them all up uh, on the screen. First of all, overcomers are to, to live by God's word. They're to live by God's word. The, the word of God is referred to often in this closing section. Now, it's, it's odd that, isn't it? Because in the first instance, this is a book of revelation that, that, that in, in many ways is all about seeing lots of imagery. 
And John often says, I, I looked and I saw. He sees a vision. But then, you see, he's told to, to write. Because for us, we, we don't get a vision. We get a, a written word. And there's an expectation, you see, that we're going to keep God's word. See, verse 7, 22, verse 7. Behold, I'm coming soon. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy in this book. The angel then in verse 8 says, I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and all who keep the words of this book. So <clears throat> we understand that, that what's in mind here is more than just being aware of God's word. So it's good to know what the Bible says. That's really, really important. But it's, it's even more than hearing God's word, isn't it? It refers to, to doers of God's word. Keepers of God's word are those who who live by it. So overcomers, therefore, are, are, are not just to be those who hear. There are lots who hear. There are lots who know what they should do. Overcomers do what they should do. They believe what they should believe. And so we understand, you see, that, that, that this Bible that we have is a book for, for living. That, that's what verse 10 tells us about Revelation. The angel says, then he told me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book because the time is near. You see, there are some who think that about the book of Revelation, eh, that, that it's a book about the future. It, it, it's, it's really not much use to us here now. It's going to tell us what's going to happen, but, but it doesn't really help us very much tomorrow. But, but that's not at all what, what this is saying. It's saying, here's a book for today. It tells us about the battle that we're in, about the presence of Christ with us, and that's true, of course, of the Bible in general. This is a book for living. I remember being really struck by a, a chap called uh, Neil Hudson, how he was talking about trying to live the gospel out in front of his neighbors. And he, he said, you know, I wonder, as I, as I try to reach my neighbors, I, I wonder if my neighbors really understand how weird we are as a family. Because he says, they, they know that we go to church, but do they... Do they know that every day we read from this ancient book and we try to do what it says. They lived by it. They kept it. But you see, that's what Christians do. We, we, we are people of the book. We, we, we are keepers of the word. So overcomers are going to be those who, who live by the word of God. And, and, and it's really important for us to see here that it's the full word of God Look at these well-known verses at the end of the book. Jesus says, I, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes words away from this book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. So here's a warning not to tamper with the word of God. It's, it's first of all referring to revelation, but, but it's equally applicable to all of Scripture. So in other words, the Bible is not lacking in anything, so it doesn't need anything added to it. It's not excessive in anything, so it doesn't need anything stripped away from it. Don't mess with the Scriptures. Uh, this has been just a, a, an issue. This is always a temptation for the church, for God's people. One name you should know from church history, or get to know as it were, is the name of Marcion. Marcion was one of the early heretics. He was alive just about the time this book was written. He was born in AD 85, we think, 
probably Revelation was written in the early 90s. He became one of the, the biggest heretics in the early church. He taught a false gospel. He really plagued the church. But what he did effectively was to take a pair of scissors to the Bible. He cut out all of the Old Testament. He just thought, that Old Testament tells us about a God who's angry, don't want anything to do with him. Cut out lots of the New Testament. He, he really kept Luke and, and selected parts of Paul's letters. So he really did a, a sort of a cut and paste. It would have been easier for him now with Microsoft Word. He could have just gone through with his mouse, highlighted bits, put it into a new document and said, this is what I want to hang on to. He basically said, I like this, but I don't like that. Now that happened 1900 years ago. It's basically what we see happening again and again and again. People keep the bits about God loving people. They cut out the bits about God judging people. They cut out the bits where God says that certain things are sins. And make no mistake about it, the debates that are going on in the church today that that we see played out in the letters pages of the Belfast Telegraph are debates about the authority of the Bible and all of the Bible. And the question is, are we saying this is what God has breathed out and therefore I'm going to go with it. No exceptions. Of course there will be bits that leave us feeling uncomfortable. Of course there will be bits that expose our hearts and our desires that are not how God wants them to be. But, but listen, listen well to this. If the God that we believe in never challenges us, you can be pretty sure that you've made him up. He's not the God of the Bible. He's not the God who holds the universe in his hand. And you see, what happens whenever, whenever we, we, we get to be like Marcion and we sit over the Bible and we say, well, I like this bit, but I don't like that bit. Or I'll emphasize that bit, but I'll play down that bit. Then, then we're not people under the Bible. We're not under its authority anymore. It's under our authority. And, and we just don't get to have that sort of authority. We're not, we're not that good. Also, you'll, you'll, you'll hear people say, well, you know, some of these matters are just things that Christians disagree over. Now, there are things, of course, that sincere Christians disagree over. We recognize that there are secondary matters that in a sense don't matter all that much. But, but look at the priority that is given here to messing with God's word. There's a judgment with plagues for those who add to scripture. There's the, and get this, there's the removal of the share in the tree of life for those who take away from scripture. So this is not one of those things that doesn't matter all that much. This, it would imply here, is a salvation issue. You, you, you deny parts of Scripture and, and no eternal life. It, for all of us, but maybe for, for those of you who are younger especially, get good at asking the question, 
where does this authority come from? As you, as you hear people make claims, especially claims about what to believe and how the world works, and what's right and what's wrong, ask the question, what authority does the person have to say this? Is it coming from the culture? Is it coming from their own thinking? Is it coming from the Bible? Because we all operate with authority. We, we've used this quote often from Kevin DeYoung. Kevin DeYoung says this, whether we realize it or not, we all give someone or something the last word. Our parents, our culture, our community, our feelings, the government, peer-reviewed journals, opinion polls, impressions, or a holy book. You see, we, we all we all operate with authority. And in Revelation, it's really clear that those who overcome, those who share in the indescribable blessing that God has for his people are people who are under the authority of God's word. They're keepers of it. That's the first thing. Second thing is that characterizes these overcomers, they, they live for the glory of God. You see, that's the implication of verse 8 and following. John hears all of this. He's, he's just overcome with it all. And he falls at the feet of the angel who has been showing him all that he has seen. And the angel is very swift to say, verse 9, do not do it. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and of all who keep the words of this book, worship God. He's quickly rebuked. You see, don't do it. Worship God. The angels are jealous for God's glory. They, they see things much more clearly than we do. They see the order of things perfectly. They know the rightness of God alone being worshipped and the awfulness of worship leaking to other places and other things and other people. Now, this is what we've seen right through the book. God is at the center of heaven. Worship is due to him. Heaven is heaven... Because every will in heaven is aligned to the great project of giving God glory and honor. And that's why this isn't heaven. That's why it's one reason that this isn't heaven. Because here we find that we're living somewhere, and we're part of this problem. Here we find that we're living somewhere where people have exchanged the glory of God, the worship of God, for created things. And even whenever we're converted, brothers and sisters, don't we know this? That we need to pull ourselves to, to worship God alone. Because we have the tendency, like John, to buy before the wrong things. Don't you know that But your own heart? But in heaven, all of that's going to go. And there, there will be an alignment of every will to the glory of God. No double-mindedness, no glance at anything else thinking, well, this is good, but you know what? I'm really looking forward to that. No, a united worship of God. So if that's what we're heading for, that's what we're made for, that's what we're called to, then we want to strive towards that as we're here. It's part of what overcomers set their hearts on, isn't it? Overcomers then also 
Live with an awareness of the key division. It's not a very good title. They, they, they grasp the key division that runs right through all that God has made. You see that in verses 14 and 15? Because even in this end section, in the sense when, when heaven is perfectly populated, when everything is right, you see that there's this reference in verses 14 and 15 to those who are outside. Verses 14, blessed are those who wash the robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates to into the city. Outside of the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. So you see, those who are not God's people are described by their practices, but there's another group, and, and if we sort of think of the geography of this, who come from outside, but come into the city. And how do they do that? They wash their robes. Elsewhere we learn that their robes are washed white in the blood of the lamb. Usually we wash clothes to get blood out. But here in this picture, it's washed in the blood of Christ that makes the robes clean. And being these new spotless people clothed in this spotless righteousness, they can go through the gates and have the right to eternal life. So you see, This is all that's ahead. There's a reward for God's people and there's a judgment for those who are not. So now, we who are here on earth waiting for that day, we remember that. We we let that great eternal reality shape our day-to-day lives. It's one of the key issues of those who endure and overcome as believers. They remain conscious that no matter what, no matter how difficult it gets as a follower of Jesus, it's still better to be a follower of Jesus. I wonder if you really got that in your own heart. No matter how hard your life gets as a follower of Jesus, it's still better to be a follower of Jesus. Do you remember uh, some of the disciples? Uh, there was a time, you remember the, the sort of the general pattern of Jesus' life and ministry is that at times there are great crowds and then as Jesus begins to teach, uh, the, the, the crowds begin to drift away and then until there's a small number left. And at one point in John chapter uh, 6, it says, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, you imagine being part of this conversation. Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Now, there may come a time, maybe, maybe it's now, there may come a time when some of us are turning over in the question in our heads, is it worth it? Is it worth it to keep going? Should I just quietly step aside, step back? Well, ask yourself the question, what are you stepping aside into? Because as this conclusion to Revelation would say, you're either inside this city or you're outside it. It's that great division which lies 
behind verse 11, which strikes us as odd whenever we first hear it. Let him who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let him who is vile continue to be vile. Let him who does right continue to be right. Let him who is holy continue to be holy. See the division? Now, now we might expect the Bible here to be appealing to people to change, but it's going to do that in a moment, but, but not here. What this seems to be doing is looking forward and saying that, that if this is the pattern of your life, is this, if this is the deep down orientation of your life, then one day it will be fixed. There will be no change possible one day. Remember, Jesus told the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, and the rich man wanted Lazarus to come across and ease his torment with some water, and Abraham said, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, so that you, those who want to go from here to there cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. So that rules out a second chance, doesn't it? So we can't say, well, do you know what? I'm going to hedge my bets. I'm going to see what's on the other side of death, and then I'll decide. Well, that's too late. But wonderfully, this is encouraging for us, wonderfully it rules out any possibility of the loss of our salvation. Don't you maybe wonder about that sometimes? You think, well, if the original Eden went wrong, is it possible that somewhere along the, 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 the future pathway that somebody will throw a spanner in the works in heaven too? But no, because God will see to it somehow that that cannot happen. Let him who is holy continue to be holy. You will be safe forever. Now, however, there is opportunity. You see that invitation in verse 17? The spirit and the bride say, come, and let him who hears say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. Whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. How gracious that is. It's a question, isn't it? Are you thirsty? Do you want it? He is here. If you want him, he invites you. So you come. Those who are overcomers, I think this says to us, have a keen sense of this key division that runs through all of history, all of humanity. Every street. Then the last thing, just in a word, is that, that those who are overcomers, they, they, they live with an expectation of his coming. You see in verse 20, it says, he who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. So Jesus is speaking. He says he's coming soon. And I know that so many of us here believe everything else that he says. And so we must believe this too. I think if you're like me, you find it easier to believe that Jesus came and harder to believe that he will come. But you ask yourself, does his coming affect you day by day? Does it make you think, what would it be like if he came back today? Maybe you think, well, 
I, I don't think about it that much, but I, I guess it's a fairly minor emphasis in the New Testament as far as Christianity is concerned. Some people get really into it, but, but well, listen to this. The second best preacher in the world sent me this this afternoon. Uh, it, is, it is prominent in the New Testament, sorry, the, the, the idea of the second coming, its prominence in the New Testament shows the great importance of the truth, for it is referred to over 300 times. And it may almost be said that no other doctrine is mentioned so frequently or emphasized so strongly. Listen to this. Baptism is mentioned 19 times in seven epistles, and in 14 out of 21, it is not alluded to. The Lord's Supper is only referred to three or four times in the entire New Testament, and in 20 out of 21 epistles, there's no mention of it. The Lord's coming is referred to in one verse out of every 13 in the New Testament, and in the epistles alone, one verse out of every 10. This proportion is surely of importance, For if frequency of mention is any criterion, there is scarcely any other truth of equal interest and value. In other words, it's just peppered through the entire New Testament. Jesus is coming again. He says so. And there's an appropriate response for the church. It's it's given to us here. Amen, come Lord Jesus. That's the right answer. So, So if we... If we don't long for his coming, we've not understood or grasped what it will be like. You think of it. The end of all that's wrong and hurtful and dark. You think of only good, always great. Only good, always great. Now, what plans do you have this week that you would not gladly surrender for only good and always great. Nothing in your diary is better than this. Nothing you can imagine is better than this. So we say, amen, come Lord Jesus. So you want to be an overcomer. Well, there's really no other way. And right here at the end of the scriptures, these characteristics are underlined for us. Those who overcome, they live by God's word. They live for the glory of God. They live with a key, an awareness of that big division that runs through all that God has made. And they live with an expectation of his coming. Many times over these days in Revelation, I've been tempted to read these last words from C.S. Lewis's last battle. I love these words. that just speaks in very picturesque language of the the glory of what awaits us. Listen to this. And as he spoke, this is Aslan, as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and so beautiful that I can't begin to write them. And for us, This is the end of all the stories, and we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after, but for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had been only the cover and title page. Now, at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has ever read, which goes on forever and ever in which every chapter is better than the one before. 
Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. We confess, O Lord, that we are creatures who are so easily thrilled with what is temporary and passes away, that we are so quickly anchored to this world and its follies. And we pray, O Lord, that you will give us a keen and growing sense of what the Lord has in store for his people, that we might overcome and be welcomed into what you have for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.